The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Oh, here we are. And there the Bears were yesterday. 52nd anniversary of the passing of running back Brian Piccolo. Every member of the team, all 90, wearing Piccolo's number 41. Great gesture by the Bears. George Hallis, founder of the team, longtime coach of the Bears, said after Piccolo died, he'll never be forgotten. And 52 years later, it's not like it's some even number well it is an even number you know what I mean like a 50 or a 60 I mean it's just 52 it's just great it's great it lined up perfectly they have a mandatory minicamp practice on the anniversary of Brian Piccolo's passing and they they honor him in a way that shows he hasn't been forgotten all these years later and I just think it was awesome good morning Shereen Williams you and I both remember Brian Piccolo Brian's song with Billy D Williams and James Conn back in the early 70s I can remember my sister bawling watching that movie bawling like anytime that movie was on i would i I watched it i enjoyed it but i never watched it in the same way with my sister because i didn't want i didn't want to get swept up in this emotional tidal wave that inevitably came at the end of the movie anyway good morning yeah mike you know they wanted to do this two years ago obviously covid took that out on the 50th but to to do it anytime it, it tells you the impact that brian piccolo had because on the field I mean, four years, 51 games, 927 total rushing yards. His impact wasn't on the field, but his impact was great. They've raised over $13 million for cancer research in his name since he died. And just the fact that he's remembered just tells you the impact that he had. The type of carcinoma that he had at the time of his death that was 100% fatal it now has a 95% cure rate. So that's how far we've come in cancer research. So all of this is just so great. I'm glad they honored his memory. I'm glad we remember who Brian Piccolo is because he's a really important guy in the history of the NFL and the history of cancer research and everything else that's gone on. So this was fantastic that they decided to do this for every player to wear that number and the family to be there. It was just awesome. And that juxtaposition of Piccolo, who was, as a player, as unaccomplished as any NFL player can be while still being in the NFL for an extended period of time, and his close friend, Gail Sayers, same position, night and day. Gail Sayers, Hall of Famer, even with a career truncated by a knee injury that probably under today's medical standards would have allowed him to keep going a lot longer than he did. But that close relationship that fueled the Brian Song film, and I, I think at the time, I remember looking this up. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it wasn't a movie that was released in theaters. But back in those days, the ABC Tuesday night movie of the week, the 90-minute block, that was a big freaking deal. deal. And 40 million people would watch. Uh, you know, that was back when we had three options, and no VCRs, and don't play the music, please. That's it. We're just stating historical fact. 
there were millions of people in the country who had basically three options every night. And that's it. And so the the numbers would be enormous. And I, I, I vaguely recall doing the research a couple of years ago and seeing just how many people watched that. And any time it was on, it would get a gigantic audience. And it was one of those things that, that I think it, it kept coming back around. They, they knew people enjoyed it. They knew people would watch it. It would be on at least once a year. Have we asked Miles Simmons if he's seen this movie, Mike? Because if he hasn't, this is definitely, I mean, all jokes aside, back to the future, but he needs to see this one. Everybody needs to see Brian's song. He's never watched, as far as I know, any movie that was filmed or released in the 1980s. I've yet to quiz him on the 70s. I'm still apoplectic about his complete lack of knowledge of film and pop culture from the 1980s we'll, we'll, we'll have a chance coming up soon we're going to have a very rare very rare and unprecedented away from the super bowl week gathering of the pft crew coming up here in about 10 days so we'll have an opportunity to fully interrogate miles simmons on whether and to what extent he's aware of brian's song and possibly screen brian's song i was thinking and i've suggested kind of a clockwork orange type of a of a force miles to watch back to the future maybe maybe we won't have to force him to watch brian's song maybe he'll choose to watch that all right thank you for choosing to watch and listen to pft live everyone out there on peacock sirius xm 85 sky sports i'm hearing from plenty of the folks who enjoy the program on sky sports in the uk and ireland who are not happy at all that we're shutting down for five weeks i apologize but we still are available. The website doesn't go away. Profootballtalk.com. Copy, paste, snarky comment every day of the year. No days off there. And I'll be doing some videos from various locations on the property over the next few weeks to, to add to the stories that we write. So we're not, we're not abandoning ship. We're just not doing two hours, 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern every day of the work week. We're still going to be around. So thanks to everybody out there who sticks with us while we're in this setting, but don't assume that this is all that we do. And I'm surprised to the point of concern that some people think this is all we do. There is a there is a digital destination that you may have heard about that kind of spawned the whole thing. So check us out, profootballtalk.com during the five weeks that we'll be off and every other day of the year. All right, Shereen, let's get to it. Lamar Jackson. Not just at mandatory minicamp, which was a mystery as of a week ago, but also, also, the ice has thawed or shattered. The logjam has broken. Something has gone on because Lamar Jackson apparently talking to the Baltimore Ravens about a contract. Let's have a listen to Lamar Jackson from yesterday. If you haven't already, uh, do you plan to have a conversation about the contract before the season begins? Oh, we actually did. We we did. You know, it's a conversation. That's all. We're just keeping it private. Is it you and Eric just doing the one-on-one talking? Uh, can you take us through any of that? Uh, we having a conversation. <laughs> so. Is it going to continue during the season? We having a conversation. <laughs> Play the rest of your career? I expect so. Yes, I do. If you don't have an extension, like the way you're thinking right now, I mean, will you um, be at training camp? Will you be playing week one under your current deal with no with no contract? We're having a conversation about it. I don't know. That's Lamar Jackson with the revelation that a player who has in, refused to engage previously with the Ravens, on talks on a second contract, leaving the team flabbergasted, creating an intended or unintended mystery. And really, yesterday's comments only bolster this, what in the world is really going on here? And when you listen to him and you watch him, I don't know if he was just saying what he had to say to get through the moment, and he wants to find a path that makes it less of a big deal, but he's refused to have a conversation. And I don't know that having a conversation means they're going to get a deal done, Shireen. But I am surprised that he acknowledged that they're having a conversation because the past stories we had heard are basically he's so focused on his career, he doesn't have time for that conversation. 
Well, and I'm curious how long he thinks it takes to get one of these deals done. If he's doing this deal himself, does he think they can just go and get this done in a week or two weeks? And maybe they can. Maybe they just, just use Deshaun Watson's contract and go, here it is, let's let's give him this, whatever. But these deals generally take a lot of time, and is he going to spend now the next five weeks trying to get this contract done? This whole thing is just so weird to me, and I'm sure it's weird to the Ravens too, unless there's something there that we haven't heard about, and, and I don't think there is. I just think this whole thing's weird, Mike. I don't know where he thinks this is going. And until he signs this deal, as we've said on PFT all along, you don't know that he wants to remain in Baltimore. That, to me, still is a question until he signs a new deal. He has a contract for this year for $23 million base salary, and after that, you know, they're going to use a franchise tag on him, but it ultimately is that what he wants? And he keeps saying he wants to stay in Baltimore and keeps saying it, but until he signs that deal, we don't know that for a fact, Mike. The three potential explanations. One, he wants out of Baltimore. Two, he wants a non-negotiable contract where he doesn't have to haggle that they demonstrate their feelings for him by making him clearly and obviously the highest paid player in football. Or number three, he doesn't know what he wants. Those are the three possibilities, and I have reason to believe that those are the accurate possibilities, and the Ravens are as in the dark as the rest of us as to which of those three options Lamar Jackson prefers, which of those three categories his mindset currently fits into. And it is in his interest to get this done. It is in his interest to have those conversations that become negotiations, that become a contract. When he says we're having conversations and I don't know whether he's going to be at training camp or even at week one. And I said last year he should not be sitting on the football field, setting foot on the football field until he has his contract. The Ravens are ready to give it to him. That's what makes this so bizarre and unprecedented. The Ravens are ready to pay him and have been ready to pay him. He just doesn't want it. He doesn't want to sit down and engage in those conversations that would result in it. But at least they're having a conversation. That still raises plenty of questions about where these conversations will lead. And the conversation yesterday with the media led to the point you made, Shireen, about Deshaun Watson's contract. That's the one right now where let's just sit down and give me the deal that the Browns gave to the guy that's got soon-to-be 26 lawsuits pending against him and all of this uncertainty I'm the guy who's the MVP. I'm the guy who isn't causing you any issues whatsoever off the field. Make his the starting point, and we'll figure out the ending point from there. Here's Lamar Jackson talking about the potential relevance of the Deshaun Watson mega deal to him. How much has the Deshaun Watson contract affected your thoughts about your future and what would be an acceptable contract for you? Um, nothing at all. You know, I'm, I'm a man of my own. I don't worry about what those guys get. Now, see, that right there, that right there is proof positive. It's conclusive. It's mic drop for anyone who says this guy needs an agent. This guy desperately needs an agent because this is how it works, Lamar. This isn't, hey, I'm just my own guy. I'll take whatever they give me. No, no. Those who have come before you set the precedent. The idea is you take what they've gotten and you try to get more. That's how Kirk Cousins justified his role in the broader NFL business ecosystem several years ago when he was doing the franchise tag dance with Washington before forcing his way to the market and getting arguably more than he should have on the open market. But he did it. And what it did, it raises the bar. It helps the guys who are coming after Lamar Jackson. So he needs someone who will lead him through this Economic minefield. How do you strike the right balance? How do you get the most out of the Ravens while leaving enough behind? What's our priority here? There's a lot of questions that a good agent will will ask the client to help the client understand what he wants. It'll draw out from him thoughts and feelings that he hadn't possibly formulated on his own because he hasn't been working directly with someone who has the experience in doing these deals. I think he desperately needs an agent. I think it even more strongly than I did before hearing him say that. And he, I just think he just wanted to get through that press conference. He just wants to get through it. 
I, I don't know that his mindset has changed at all. I think he went there and said what he had to say to get through a potentially awkward discussion with the media. And Shereen, here's an idea that I have. I, I think, and I mentioned this in an article yesterday, if Lamar Jackson simply doesn't want to pay one, two, or three percent to an agent, and there are plenty of people in the NFL who think that's what this is all about, penny wise, pound foolish. The Ravens should just say, you know what we'll do? We'll gross up whatever the final offer is. Whatever, we, whatever agreement we reach with your agent, we'll gross it up and we'll pay the fee. If that's the impediment to making it easier for everyone, that's what the Ravens should do. Yeah, it's a great point, Mike. And, and I'm going to say two things before I ask you this question. And one is I think you should have an agent. And two is I think this deal should have gotten done last summer as Josh Allen's did, not this summer. If it gets even if it even gets done last year, a year ago, you said after the Josh Allen deal, which was a six year, two hundred fifty eight million dollar deal, one hundred and fifty million in guarantees, one hundred million fully guaranteed. You said if you're Lamar Jackson, you walk in there, you hand the contract to the Ravens and you say, I want this deal. So has he by waiting has he actually come out ahead because of the deshaun watson contract even if he doesn't know it now i know he gambled immensely last year because of the way he plays quarterback and the fact that he missed five games last year i understand that but is he going to come out ahead just simply because he did wait and if he waits again and doesn't have a career-ending injury, does he actually end up with more again? I know they both sides should get this done, and I know it's a huge gamble. But has he come out ahead from a year ago at this time? Well, yes, because he has carried the injury risk for another year and didn't suffer a career-ending injury or a career-limiting injury. He did miss five games last year, one because of a stomach ailment that pops up from time to time. And I've said this, and this is no joke. I've got Crohn's disease. I mean, at some point, give the guy a colonoscopy, frankly, and see what's going on. Because there may be some undiagnosed condition that causes him every few weeks to miss practice and ultimately miss a game for something that possibly could be easily treated and cause him to never miss any time whatsoever. But the ankle injury that he suffered and missed the balance of the season, that game against the Browns when he was outside the pocket. It was a clean hit outside the pocket. The protection against hits at or below the knees goes away. It wasn't anything that looked bad. It was just kind of a fluke thing, and he's done for the year. But he comes back and he plays, and everything's fine, but you still continue to take that risk without the contract. So you keep playing at a high level. Yes, as the bar keeps going up and you don't have a contract, you benefit. The problem is, you continue to carry that risk. And when we're talking about yeah. ultra-generational wealth here, I don't know that kicking the can to get a little bit more next year is worth risking the contents of the can and a bunch of other cans. All the cans you have blow apart and it's gone if you suffer definitely a career-ending injury, but just the kind of thing where, and this is my concern for Lamar Jackson, this is the heart of the advice I would give him if he were my son, my cousin, my nephew, my client, my brother, my friend, anybody that I had any interest in helping, I would say there's a chance if you wait too long, all of a sudden, you're not going to be Lamar Jackson anymore. You're not going to have any specific thing that keeps you from playing but just the wear and tear, all of a sudden, you're not that guy anymore. And I think back to last week, the comments that were made by Channing Crowder directly to the face of Cam Newton on the Pivot podcast. And Channing Crowder said, Cam, you got old. You're 33. You're old. Well, you know what? For quarterbacks, 33 is not old anymore. But it is old when you spend 10 years getting banged around. Because you're running the ball more than you should. You're taking hits more than you should. At some point, the human body constructed of the same material as everyone else's, no matter how big you are, no matter how fast you are, no matter how strong you are, eventually the components of that body are going to rebel. So, um, Shireen, I agree. Last year, he should have gone in and said, just give me the Josh Allen deal. This year, he should go in and say, give me the Deshaun Watson deal. The problem is... and. I, I said this earlier in the week. One of the reasons why Steve Bashotti, the owner of the Ravens, was one of the people who spoke out about the Deshaun Watson contract and proved that they do indeed collude. 
yeah, he doesn't want to give Lamar Jackson, a guy who may have the wheels come off at some point in the next five years, $230 million fully guaranteed. Well, yes. If I'm Lamar Jackson, I want that deal. If I'm the Ravens, I'm not sure I give him that deal. I mean, I pause a little bit. And you think about what they did with Joe Flacco coming off the, the Super Bowl. They gave him that huge deal and ended up regretting the deal that they gave Joe Flacco. So they've got to think long and hard about their future at the position. Do they do this? Do they just franchise tag him next year and say, look, we're going to roll the dice here. We're going to figure out what we're going to do at the quarterback position, but we're not going to give him fully guaranteed five years, $230 million. And at that point, I don't know what happens because if you're Lamar Jackson, like you said, Mike, you go in and you say, hey, I'm better than Deshaun Watson. I have an MVP award. I don't have 26 civil cases hanging over my head. I am better than him. I want that deal right now. So this may not get done like Lamar hopes and thinks that it can get done. If he, if that's truly what he meant yesterday and, and thinks it can get done in a hurry, this may not because the Ravens may not want to give him the deal that the Browns gave to Deshaun Watson. I'm glad you mentioned Joe Flacco because I think the Ravens organization, to the extent that there are plenty of pieces still in place that were in place a decade ago when the Flacco deal was done, they you, you learn from that experience. And quick yeah. nutshell history lesson about the Joe Flacco deal. They tried to sign him in August of 2012. He rejected their best offer, and decided to bet on himself. That was the first big bet on himself that that I can remember in the past 20 years. Joe Flacco bets on himself at the quarterback position, and then he wins the Super Bowl, becomes a Super Bowl MVP. And what happened after that, the Ravens had a dilemma. Franchise tag, obviously, if we can't do a long-term deal. Okay, well, what level of the franchise tag? And I mention that because that's coming now. What level? Non-exclusive or exclusive? Significant difference between the two. And then when you start going this year to the next year to the next year, 20% increase for year two of the franchise tag, 44% increase over year two in year three. Not that anybody's getting tagged a third time because it does go up 44% minimum over what you were making the prior year. But you're talking about two very different franchise tag levels for the Ravens and two very different realities. And the way this may end, frankly, because I think at some point the Ravens get exasperated and they just trade Lamar Jackson. Well, the way it could end is they use the non-exclusive franchise tag on Lamar Jackson and say, if somebody wants to give us two first round picks and they want to make him an offer that we won't match. Fine. That's, that's going to be the only way we're ever going to get a contract with the guy. Let somebody else negotiate it with him, and then we decide whether or not we want to match it. That may be the end result. And what they did with Flacco, they did a contract right on the brink of the deadline for applying the franchise tag, so they never had to choose between exclusive and non-exclusive. And in hindsight, they probably wish they would have gone non-exclusive and let someone like the Chiefs or the Browns snatch him up for two first-round picks and move on because they ended up giving him a huge contract that was structured in a way that three years later they had to do it again. They had to do it again to get out of cap hell three years later, making the highest paid player in the NFL three years later when he didn't deserve it at that time. So this time around, I think crystal ball, flawed and smoky as it may be, I think they're going to go non-exclusive franchise tag and wait and see the Dolphins or someone else shows up and makes him a big offer and willingly will give up two first-round picks, Shereen. Yeah, and I don't know that anybody makes that offer, Mike, which you go back to he should have done this deal a year ago, but if not then, now. Now is the time for Deshaun Watson to get this deal done, to not bet on himself for another season after having that injury, ankle injury last year. He needs to go ahead and get this done and take his money while, his can, while he can and know that he's on a team that will build an offense around him where he has succeeded in the regular season. And then he has to figure out how to succeed in the postseason. So what if this team bombs this year? What if, what if it's not an injury? What if he just doesn't play very well and they don't win a playoff game 
And he's still sitting there at one and three in the postseason. And if you're the Ravens, you're wondering whether this guy can get you over the hump. Ultimately, can he get it done? Because he hadn't shown that, Mike. Three touchdowns, five interceptions in the postseason. He just hasn't been good enough in the postseason to get them where they need to be. So if I'm Lamar Jackson, I want to get this done. And and maybe it's not the Deshaun Watson deal. Whatever it is, I just think he should get this deal done, get signed, and be set for life and be set for his career with the Ravens. And, And that's off the plate. He doesn't have to hold out. He doesn't have to to do interviews that he doesn't want to do, any of those things to talk about his contract. He has the money. He has a deal. He knows what his future is. I just think he needs to get it done. Well, I have believed that for a year. He needs a good agent to help him get it done. And maybe if the Ravens would offer to pay the agent fee, gross up the deal and pay the agent fee, that that could be the thing that finally breaks this logjam if – the belief in league circles, some league circles, is true that this is all about not having to write that check every year to an agent. And I think that's been the genesis of this movement that really hasn't gotten very far. Once guys realize they have to negotiate their own contracts, plenty of them say, I'm not interested. Yeah, I'd like to save the money that I'm paying for my fee, but I really don't want to do this because this isn't my area of expertise. I don't know how to go about getting the best possible deal. I don't know how to avoid getting screwed by one of these teams that negotiates contracts all the time, and I'm doing it once. Are you kidding me? Richard Sherman, sorry, Richard, got screwed by the 49ers the first time he did it himself. Russell Okung got beyond screwed by the Broncos when he did his deal with them. His deal with the Chargers was better. He had somebody help. See, what the, the, the dirty little secret about this whole thing is, The guys who decide to represent themselves have learned they need someone to help them who isn't really an NFLPA certified agent. So it's kind of it's kind of not really in keeping with the rules, but they do have some people who help them. They just don't take a percentage and guys don't like paying that percentage because the money doesn't come out of their check. They got to write that check. They don't like writing that check. If the Ravens essentially say we're writing that check for you, maybe that gets this done. Lamar Jackson said something else, too, because when Lamar was staying away from organized team activities, and Chris Sims and I talked about it, Chris had some fairly important comments along the lines of, hey, this guy wants to be Tom Brady. Tom Brady, early in his career, showed up for OTAs, tried to make himself better, was all in with the experience and practices and being around his teammates and elevating the folks who are going to help him try to get to the top of the mountain. There's the response that Lamar Jackson had on Twitter. Lamar wants to be Lamar, Chris. This part of OTAs is voluntary. My guy, I will be there, just not on your watch. It's probably other quarterbacks not attending voluntary OTAs either. But since it's Lamar, it's a huge deal. Find something else to talk about. We talked about that. First of all, we discussed other quarterbacks who were or weren't at OTAs and whether they should or shouldn't be, whether it was Aaron Rodgers or Kyler Murray or any other quarterback that skipped. And secondly... Goes with the territory, Lamar, we are going to talk about you, especially post-draft when we're looking for things to talk about. And one of the things we talk about, Lamar Jackson, not at OTAs. Yesterday, he talked about his tweet directed at our colleague, Chris Sims. Here he is. You, you, responded, to, uh, you responded to Chris Sims recently on, on social media. And you know, there's people talking about you on these national shows, it seems like every day. Yeah. Is it hard to tune that out at all? I mean, like, how, how do you deal with that at this point? Nah, sometimes it'd be clickbait. And then I had, he baited me because I'm like, dang, I want to be myself. I don't want to be the next guy. You know, I look at myself as Lamar Jackson, not Tom Brady and this and that. I want the Super Bowls like Tom Brady, but I'm still myself. So that's why I responded. It wasn't no hard feelings, though. He's doing his job. And that's good. That's good. You see, sometimes what you say on Twitter comes off maybe differently than what you mean it to. It's a very specific defined medium where you have up to 280 characters and you can't always detect sarcasm. You can't always read intent. And sometimes it's just reaction. He baited me. Well, he didn't. He wasn't baiting Lamar. He was just speaking his truth. He wasn't trying to get Lamar to react. And I know Lamar wants to be his own guy, but the point is if you want to be great, then there are certain things you need to emulate from other greats who have come before you. Tom Brady, all in for off-season workouts early in his career while he was still on the upward trajectory toward greatness. Now, maybe Lamar wants to show that he can be great without being all in, but 
at some point, the logic falls apart. Okay, Lamar, why don't you have a contract with the Ravens? Because I'm too focused on football. Well, if you're too focused on football, why aren't you at OTAs? Well, I'm, I'm working out with my yeah. quarterback's coach. Yeah, but you can do that another time. You got five weeks between OTAs and training camp that you can work on your mechanics. This is your opportunity to work with your teammates directly. You know, you don't have Hollywood Brown anymore. You may have heard. Oh, yeah, you tweeted about that. You weren't happy with it, even though you knew it was happening. You acted like you didn't know it was happening, maybe because you don't want people to think receivers don't want to play with you. It's not about you. It's about Greg Roman. That's what they're saying. Regardless, if you're all about football, it means showing up for football practice and then doing your quarterback mechanics work at a different time if you're truly all about football. So there's there's some logical flaws in the way that Lamar Jackson is going about being himself. That That's the core issue here. Yeah. Well, and you didn't mention the clickbait, Mike. I don't think tweeting, there's nothing about clickbait when you tweet something. There's, there's nothing there to yeah. click on. And look, look, let me, just, let me just say this to anyone out there who wonders whether or not we engage in clickbait or whether or not you should or you shouldn't. First of all, we are providing information, analysis, and entertainment, and we want people to consume it. So it's all clickbait that we want people to click. We want people to read our stuff. The difference between using the term in the very literal sense and the derisive sense is certain things will have a headline that is completely and totally a failure to reflect what the story is to unfairly bait you. To click it. It's more of a mousetrap, right? It's it's you're you're being duped into looking at something that when you look at it, you're gonna say, Well I said I'm not gonna say the S word today. Crap. That's not what I thought I was gonna get. That that's that's what clickbait really means. Yeah. Everything we do is aimed at baiting people to read and consume our stuff. Anyway, rant rant over. Sorry to interrupt you, but Back to our point, yeah, Chris Chris is just, yeah. he's not trying to mess with Lamar. He's just saying what he believes. Right. And he, and he said it, and Lamar obviously took offense with what he said. But fact is, he hadn't been in that building until this week in five months, Mike. And I'm not sure if you're one and three in your postseason career and haven't come close to winning a Super Bowl, that that should be what you're doing. And you lose, by the way, your best receiver goes gets traded in the offseason. So I think he should have been there at OTAs, at least part of them. I'm not sure that he needed to be at all of them, but at least part of them, uh, just to work with those receivers and figure out what he needs to do, especially if he's not going to sign his contract. If you're not going to sign your contract, this is the most important year of your career. If if you're not going to get that done, you've got to have a great year. You've got to be healthy. You've got to know your receivers. You've got to win games. You probably have to win that division. To, to do what you want to do contract-wise, this will be the most important year of his career if he doesn't sign this offseason, Mike. Yeah, especially if this all culminates in the non-exclusive franchise tag and he wants another team to throw two first-round picks at the opportunity to pluck Lamar Jackson away from the Baltimore Ravens. Look, he either did it on purpose or accidentally. He created a mystery, and the mystery has been fueled all offseason. And it's one thing to see the words on paper when you listen to him and watch him from yesterday. I don't know that the mystery has been solved. It won't be solved until he signs a contract with the Ravens or someone else. But he's either messing with the Ravens or he's got less self-awareness than Michael Scott. Either way, he's wandered into, whether he meant to or not, this strange posture with the team that is unprecedented because it's all about getting the team to want to open the wallet and pay you. They've wanted to open the wallet and pay him. The wallet's open. The vault's open. The the truck is, is ready. It's on his porch. It's ready to dump the money out, and he hasn't wanted it. If he wants it, it should be fairly simple to figure it out, and it would be a lot easier if he had an agent to properly guide him through this process, right? How to handle the team, how to deal with the team. Should I show up for OTAs? Should I not show up for OTAs? When do we get a deal done? What's the update? What? How are we structuring the guarantees? There's so many different ways the agent can help. If it's a good agent, there are bad agents out there, but 
it as I've said this before, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to put together a short list of the respected and accomplished and effective quarterback agents. Just look at some of the best quarterback contracts and find out who represents them. It's very easy to do if that's what Lamar wants to do. Tyreek Hill, speaking of mysteries that that have become solved thanks to episode one of It Needed to Be Said, which dropped last Friday. Tyreek Hill said plenty of things that were eye-openers as it relates to why he wanted out of Kansas City and his belief that Tua Tonga-Vailoa is more accurate than Patrick Mahomes. Yesterday, Patrick Mahomes meeting with the media for the first time since Hill's comments came out. Here is what Mahomes had to say about his former teammates' comments. Surprised at all that Tyreek said some of the things he said? Um, I mean, it's, I, I, I'm surprised a, a little, um, just because I feel like we we love Tyreek here. We've always loved him. We still love him. I saw him out at Formula One in Miami um, and everything like that. But um, I mean, I'm sure it had something to do with trying to get his podcast some some stuff and get it rolling. Um, but uh, definitely, I still love Tyreek. He's one of a kind player. Um, but uh, as you know, in Coach Reed's offense, it takes the whole team. I mean, this offense was rolling before I got here. This offense was rolling when I was a young Cowboy fan watching the Eagles beat up on the Cowboys. So, I mean, it's, a, it's an offense that's more than one player, and that includes myself. Have you talked to him at all about it? I haven't talked to him since the podcast um, came out. But, I mean, I talked to him in Formula 1 in Miami in May, um, and everything seemed fine. Um, yeah, look. Patrick Mahomes is going to be diplomatic about this. He's not going to try to make things worse. But at some level, the Chiefs made a strategic decision to move on from Tyreek Hill. Whether it's we don't want Patrick Mahomes to be overly smitten with the deep ball. We want him to learn how to work the underneath areas of the offense a little bit better. And Sims and I talked about that yesterday. Maybe Patrick Mahomes holds on to the ball a little bit longer than he should because he's waiting for Tyreek Hill to get open 60 yards down the field. And he wants to throw that high arcing pass to Tyreek Hill. And now he's going to have to be a little more surgical underneath. Maybe they, they were worn out by Tyreek Hill's demands for the ball, but they decided to be diplomatic about it and not make it a big deal. But I, to the extent that that Hill talked about his conversations with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes as this was all coming to a head. I think Mahomes is very well aware of why Tyreek Hill isn't there. And they are making, I think, Shireen, a strategic, a strategic guess that they're going to be okay without him. But who's the guy that's going to command double coverage all the time now with Tyreek Hill not there? They need somebody else to become that weapon who is so potent that defenses begin their process by saying, how are we going to stop Tyreek Hill? They don't have that guy now. You know what? Patrick Mahomes, he didn't use the words, Mike, but Patrick Mahomes just said that he thought, this is what I got out of it, that Tyreek Hill was using clickbait there. He wanted people to click onto his podcast and listen to his podcast. Yeah. But yeah, they're, yeah. they're going to miss Tyreek Hill, I think. You know, he, he averaged 86 catches, 1,200 yards, 11 touchdowns over the last four seasons. He was very, very good. This will open, maybe not open things up, but it, Travis Kelsey is going to become more of a target. He was second in targets last year after Tyreek Hill's 159 targets, but he's going to command the double coverage now. So it's going to be up to some of those receivers that they've gotten in there to, to kind of do what Tyreek Kill did and no one else is Tyreek Kill. So we'll see what Patrick Mahomes can do. He's still a great quarterback. I still think this is going to be a very good team, but now it's looking more like maybe some of the Brady years when Brady didn't have all those great receivers, when he didn't have that great, that Randy Moss uh, the year that Brady threw the 50 touchdowns. But at New England, he really didn't have those great receivers. So this is now kind of what Kansas City reminds me of. But as we talked a lot, Mike, you're getting receivers straight out of college who are coming into the NFL and playing really, really well. They have that in Sky Moore. Maybe he's going to become that guy. They're certainly betting on him being very good this season as a rookie as much as they're going to depend on him. So maybe that was part of the thinking, too, that, hey, we don't want to pay this guy. We can get a receiver who's just as good, just as fast. We're going to gamble here that we can win without Tyreek Hill, and that's what they've done, Mike, for whatever reason. And 
That's the gamble that the Chiefs made, swapping out Tyreek Hill for Sky Moore and also picking up Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Juju Smith-Schuster as free agents. The Packers made that gamble. Devontae Adams out, Christian Watson in. And the Titans have made that gamble with A.J. Brown out and Traylon Burks in and plenty of indications that Burks is struggling to make the adjustment to the NFL. And I think the Titans took the biggest risk because Adams already had a second contract and was in the NFL for eight years. Hills had a second contract, and they've won a Super Bowl with him. For Burks, or I mean for A.J. Brown, he was three years in. You're supposed to want to keep those guys and build around those guys. So that was a hell of a risk that the Titans took. But I think we're going to see more teams do that as more and more receivers, great receivers come in every year. The reality is there's no guarantee that the one you get is going to be great. And you may be that team. And inevitably it's going to happen where a team does this, Shireen, and they say, we picked the wrong guy. Yeah. Well, you look at the Cowboys getting rid of Amari Cooper. That's one now is $20 million that much with what we've seen with the receiver market that maybe they should have kept Amari Cooper. And I know C.D. Lamb, they believe he's their number one receiver. Shoot, he was their number one receiver last year. It was just we were talking about Amari Cooper's number one receiver, but C.D. Lamb was the guy that led them in catches and yards and, and all of the important things that we talk about for a number one receiver. That was C.D. Lamb. So there may already be some regret there with the Cowboys and and getting only, by the way, a fifth-round draft pick for Amari Cooper. So, yes, there's going to be that coming, Mike, where these rookies don't live up to what some of these veterans did. And you look at a team like the Vikings that's going to have a decision to make with Justin Jefferson. Are you going to pay Justin Jefferson or are you going to move on for him? But a year ago, we would have said, of course they're going to pay him. But now, after what we've seen this offseason, you don't know what teams are going to do with these receivers. They chose not to sign, not to pay Stephon Diggs and ended up with Justin Jefferson. So maybe they have the mind, same mindset of, we can get a receiver who's just as good or better. They had paid Diggs. Diggs was more about an anti-Kirk Cousins position. And the day that Cousins got a new contract, that's when Diggs tweeted his way out of Minnesota to Buffalo. You mentioned the fifth-round pick that the Cowboys got for Amari Cooper. They were going to cut him. They were going to cut him if they didn't get a fifth-round pick for him. They were abandoning ship on that $20 million contract that he had for this year. And, And in hindsight, $20 million for a guy who can do what Amari Cooper does, not a bad deal at all because the great receivers are getting more and more all the time. One last thing on, you mentioned the clickbait, and that's funny because Patrick Mahomes said, hey, you know, he's trying to get his podcast off the ground. <laughs> I suspect, and I, I made the prediction on Monday, three and a half episodes over under for it needed to be said, and I'm only saying it because it needs to be said. You know, it, YouTube views can be misleading because, you know, a show like this, we're on Peacock, and a lot of our clips are consumed in significantly high numbers via PFT when we put a clip on onto a story there and 150,000 people see it just there. Um, the only avenue that Tyreek Hill's podcast was available that I know of was YouTube, and it had like, I checked a couple minutes ago, 57,000 views in a week. He's got to be apoplectic that that's all that it did after all the crap that it stirred up. Um, so I, I, I have a feeling that it needed to be said is not going to be saying many things for very long. He's going to realize that it maybe isn't what he thought it was going to be. And he's going to find a way to back out of it and just focus on football, but we'll see. I hope he keeps doing it. I hope he keeps doing it and saying inflammatory things. It's good for our business. His clickbait is good for our clickbait. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, we had a story yesterday about where things may go for Deshaun Watson if and when the union takes up the fight on his behalf and the potential consequences for a couple of owners if a full-blown fight breaks out between the NFL, the NFLPA over Deshaun Watson. We'll discuss that next on this Friday edition of PFT Live. Around any corner, within every battle, And with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat. 
protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. When you're making your decision year by year, mm-hmm. does it ever matter about the offensive personnel and what that offense looks like before you make that decision? Uh, it did this year. I did this year because I told him I, I was all about where my boy Deshaun was going. When I talked to him, I saw I played with him and kept us off the field a lot. And I was like, wherever you go, I, I, I know you're going to keep us off the field. You put up a lot of points, put us in rush. And uh, rushing situations, instead of having to stop the run all the time, and I just wanted to go play with him and uh, well, see what I can do with him again. That's a lot of pressure. I told him that's a lot of pressure for what he's dealing with. But for him to just handle the situation where he's doing, I think he's doing a good job. Man, he don't say much. He come here and work every day. He don't let it bother him, mess up his job and work. You know? He's dealing with it well. So I hope he just keep doing it and taking care of the way he's doing it. And I hope, hope the best for my quarterback. You know, Shereen, quarterback guru Jordan Palmer, the younger brother of Carson Palmer, who works with plenty of guys in the NFL, both guys currently in the NFL and guys preparing to come to the NFL, told Chris and me at the Super Bowl this year that he tells all of his clients that they need to check profootballtalk.com every single day to understand all of the issues, nuances, controversies, et cetera, in the NFL. Jadavian Clowney probably could have benefited from similar advice because I don't think he quite understands that he's probably not going to be playing with Deshaun Watson. This year. Maybe half the year? Maybe. Recent events? Now, I think some of them unfolded before he officially re-signed with the Browns. But recent events suggest that it may very well be that he and Deshaun Watson don't play together this year, whether it's paid leave or unpaid suspension for Deshaun Watson. So maybe Jadavian Clowney can sign with the Browns again next year. And even next year, There may be uncertainty based upon where all of this is going. I'm not surprised that Jadavion Clowney would want to play with Deshaun Watson, but I am surprised he just kind of glosses over this pretty significant off-field issue like it's not going to be an impediment to his desire to play with Deshaun Watson again. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, Mike. And this is the third consecutive one-year deal that he signed, so it will probably take another one-year deal to to play with Deshaun Watson because Deshaun is going to miss at least part of this season, we would expect. But he says he would have followed him to the Falcons or the Saints or the Panthers or wherever Deshaun Watson went. So I don't know if that's true or not. I, I think, you know, familiarity with the, the, with the Browns and the way he played opposite of Miles Garrett, uh, nine sacks, which – just a half sack below his career high. I think all those things probably played a part too, but it, it sounds good for him to say that. But, yeah, it, it's it's to gloss over the fact that Deshaun is not going to be there probably for part of the season, if not all the season, uh, it is something that Clowney probably needed to consider if that truly was the reason he re-signed with the Browns because Jacoby Brissett may be the quarterback of the Browns for all or most of the season. Or somebody else, depending upon how it all or goes. Or somebody else. And, and that, that hinges on when the NFL is going to do something, when it will be final, what the Browns will know about how long they won't have Deshaun Watson. There's a lot that needs to happen, and plenty probably will be happening in the five weeks that we're off, but we'll be covering it every day, every minute, every hour at PFT. So one of the things we reported yesterday is a glimpse – into what will happen if and when the NFL decides to impose a suspension unpaid on Deshaun Watson. There's two paths the NFL can go. You can go paid leave, commissioner exemplist, and there's no independent body that gets involved, no disciplinary officer who has any jurisdiction. The commissioner has full and complete discretion to put a player on paid leave. He took it off the table in late March and said, I would just suspend him at this point. He'd probably like to have a do-over on that, because right now, I think the best path, the easiest path, the appropriate path is to go with paid leave, because, Shireen, the league is worn out, and this is one of the things we reported last night, by this drip, drip, more lawsuits, bad news, HBO. It all started with the HBO Real Sports feature 24 days ago. Then comes another lawsuit. Then comes the New York Times article 
from Jenny Ventus. Then comes another article, or another lawsuit. And then two more lawsuits are coming. And then who knows how many more? You got to wait until basically the middle of March next year when the statute of limitations on any potential plaintiffs will close, assuming that Deshaun Watson was was uh, properly aware once he got sued the first time that he should stop getting massage therapists via Instagram. And there aren't anyone, there isn't anyone else who could sue after the middle of March. But this is just all points to, we don't know how bad this is going to get. We don't know how many plaintiffs are going to be. We don't know what other stories are going to be out there. Who else is going to come out of the woodwork with claims? The best approach, and I, and there were people in the league office before all this started in the past few weeks, Shireen, who firmly believed that Deshaun Watson should not play until these cases are resolved. That's a very real threshold issue for the NFL as it decides what to do. Paid leave or unpaid suspension. And I think the NFL, even though the commissioner said that it won't be paid leave, I, I, I think that as of right now, they're still having that debate. Yeah, Mike, and this may not get resolved, their investigation before the season starts. So you know the Browns want to know before training camp, but the, the NFL, if they came back and didn't put him on the commissioner exempt list, let's say, until right before the season started, would really mess up the Browns and their plans could you see that happening? Could you see him going through training camp and then the NFL deciding at that point, right before the season, them saying, all right, we're putting you on the commissioner exempt list now until these cases are resolved? Or do they have to do it in your mind before the training camp even starts? Well, I'd like to think they pick a lane before training camp starts for the for the benefit of everyone. So we all know what's going on because – this whole thing is about managing PR. And if we get to the start of training camp and they haven't done anything at all, and they wait until the literal last minute to put him on paid leave when week one rolls around, that will mushroom into even more of a distraction and even more of an issue. I think the time to make a decision is upon us. The time to implement it at the latest is the start of training camp. And if it's going to be unpaid leave, it's going to take time because it's a three-step process. One, the league proposes a suspension, and the union is bracing for an unprecedented proposal from the league. Then, Judge Sue L. Robinson, retired federal judge from Delaware, who has been hired by the league and the union to serve in this capacity as a disciplinary officer, a new facet of the personal conduct policy as of 2020, first big test for it. She takes over, has a hearing, makes a decision, and then, unless she finds no discipline at all, the commissioner steps in with full discretion on appeal, including saying to Judge Robinson, thank you for your service, but I'm going to go with what the league proposed at the outset. And and I think what will happen is, because there's going to be a political aspect to it, there's going to be a PR aspect to what is a PR tool. The league starts high. Judge Robinson goes lower. The Then Roger Goodell strikes a middle ground. So I think that that's one of the reasons why I believe the union is bracing for an unprecedented recommendation because you want to start high and then you've got room to do something more reasonable when it's finally done and it represents a middle ground between whatever the league wanted and whatever Judge Robinson imposes. But the one thing that the league is not going to do is put itself in a position to be accused of not being aggressive enough, not after Ray Rice nearly resulted in the commissioner losing his job. So that, that may be a way to navigate this new system. You do some, you know, one year or more, this is what we want. What we ultimately get is going to be different, but at least we get the headlines, the news cycle, NFL, just like Trevor Bauer, two years for Major League Baseball, well, he's got appeal rights. But what we talk about, two years, two years, two years, what he eventually gets is going to be different potentially. But that that's part of what the NFL has to take into account, Shireen. Major recommended suspension that works out to something less than that through this process. Yeah. And, and that makes the most sense, Mike. And, and the one thing I do know about this, that this is messy and it's getting messier by the day. And as you said, it's a PR deal, but this is messy for Deshaun. It's messy for the Browns. It's messy for the Texans. It's messy for the NFL. And, and 
other owners could be sucked into this thing as you wrote about yesterday. So by the day, this is just not going away. And in fact, it's getting worse and worse for the NFL. So at some point there does become a PR angle to this thing that we've got to stop the flow here. And, and I think the commissioner exemplist is the best way to do that, Mike. At a minimum, three owners will be drawn into this fight voluntarily or not. And obviously they don't want to be in the middle of it. But what the union is going to argue, and we reported this yesterday, if and when there is an unpaid suspension that forces the union under its federal duty of fair representation to represent the interest of Deshaun Watson, there's two things that the union can do. One, fight for him under the argument that he didn't do it and he shouldn't get any punishment. Two, the alternative argument, even if you are compelled to take action, the action must be in fair proportion to the action that you took or didn't take against owners because it's right there in the personal conduct policy. Owners are held to a higher standard. So to the extent that precedent Wait. matters, and it may not matter to Roger Goodell, Roger Goodell wants to do whatever he wants to do. And if it happens to mesh with precedent, so be it. He's going to make a decision based upon these facts and whatever he needs to do right now. Judge Robinson may say, okay, well, you make a good point. NFL Players Association. And what that means is, for example, Dan Snyder, whatever the NFL decided based upon whatever facts they've kept hidden, all of a sudden you're going to have a request that Judge Robinson require to make available to the NFLPA all the findings from Beth Wilkinson, what she would have recommended if they had bothered to ask her to put her recommendation in writing or ask for a verbal recommendation, which would have been force this guy to sell the team. So that's a fair way to make an apples-to-apples comparison. What did you do to an owner where the bar is supposedly higher? And what are you going to do to Deshaun Watson in this specific set of circumstances he's facing? Robert Kraft, he had the solicitation arrest in Florida. Now, ultimately, charges dismissed because there was a finding that this law enforcement exercise and video surveillance was a blatant violation of the rights of anybody who went into that room for a massage, including many who went in for nothing but a massage. That is something for which there was no discipline. That's the closest apples-to-apples comparison, although there was never any claim that Robert Kraft engaged in any force or coercion. There were never any lawsuits filed against him. It was a criminal charge that went away because law enforcement overreached in its effort to harvest evidence. But still, still, owners are held to a higher standard, and you didn't do anything at all. Did you even investigate it? Did you do anything? Did you just ignore it? Jerry Jones, Shireen, something that, continues to confound me the voyeurism scandal involving his right-hand man rich dalrymple no investigation by the league none whatsoever a week or so after the league said we can't let washington investigate itself the league was fine with the cowboys investigating themselves and brushing it all under the rug in 2015 that's going to be the other one so it's snyder Kraft, and jones they are going to be the focal points of part of the Deshaun Watson defense saying whatever you do to him needs to fairly reflect what you didn't do to these three guys, especially since your own policy says they're held to a higher standard than players. It's the absolute best point they can make, Mike, and it's a valid point, and these guys weren't held to a higher standard they were held to a far lower standard than, than Ben Roethlisberger or Ezekiel Elliott or Deshaun Watson even is going to be held to. So it's a great point, and it's the best point that they have. And I don't know how this ends for the owners, but, yeah, they didn't serve punishment that was equal to what a player would have served under the same circumstance. There, there's no question about that. So we can just forget the, the portion of – they are held to a higher standard because we all know that, that that just didn't happen in these three cases. And to continue my habit of shamelessly plugging my book, Playmakers, which Shireen used to have behind her. I don't know what happened to it, but it's not there. It's been replaced by a baseball cap for crying out loud. I guess the Astros have been on a good run or something or she wouldn't have it out there. But there's a whole section focused on owners. And one of the themes is, are they really held to a higher standard? And is the punishment that's imposed on them ever 
a fair reflection of the punishment that gets imposed on players. Let me just give you a quick example. And I don't know that this will come up in the Deshaun Watson case, but these are things to consider. When you suspend an owner, when you suspend a player, he loses all of his financial compensation. It's gone. He loses it. You suspend him six weeks, he loses six weeks of the only money he ever makes in football. It's gone. And for most players, that is the vast majority of what they make. There's some off-field stuff, but it's not that much. You lose the bulk of your income for six weeks. When Jim Irsay got suspended six weeks after he had a driving while impaired arrest several years back, he wasn't allowed to go to the games. He still got his money. He still got his share of the... TV funds. He still got his ticket money. He didn't get suspended in the way that a player does. He didn't have his major and primary financial compensation choked off for six months or six weeks. Excuse me. So it really isn't apples to apples when they when they punish or when they don't. And Shireen, look, I, I, I like the approach of going after what the league did or didn't do with Snyder, Kraft and Jones. You could throw another one on there, too, who just so happens to be the guy who gave Deshaun Watson his $230 million contract. Jimmy Haslam, yeah. for some reason, was never scrutinized by the NFL for being the guy at the top of the ladder of an inherently corrupt organization that cheated customers out of millions of dollars. And people went to jail beneath him for some reason they never tried to make it stick to him. So he was either Mr. Magoo and oblivious to what was happening in the company that, that allowed him to raise the money that enabled the purchase of the, of the Cleveland Browns, or, or he was a mastermind who somehow managed to skate away without consequence. But I don't think the league did anything, ever even considered taking action against Jimmy Haslam. And here he is, the guy who now employs Deshaun Watson. Yeah, and it's a great point, Mike. And, and there's probably other owners out there who aren't coming to mind right away that, that they could throw in there as well. But it's a great point they're going to make, and it's something that the NFL is going to have to answer for uh, eventually based on, on the direction the NFLPA is going to go. And, and it's a good direction to go. And I don't know how you defend that if you're the NFL. You, 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 you can't. The epigraph to the Godfather from Balzac, behind every great fortune there is a crime. Sometimes in front of every great fortune there's a crime as well. And a lot of times, depending upon who's making the decisions, if it's somebody who is paid by the people who own those teams, things get swept under the rug. Uh, something the Browns officially announced yesterday, and this has been reported, it's been out there, the hiring of Catherine Raish as assistant GM and VP of football operations Highest-ranking female in a football executive position in the NFL. Obviously, Amy Trask was the first team president of, of uh, any NFL team. That was with the Raiders under Al Davis. She had been the VP of football operations with the Eagles. And, you know, so, something we've said about the Browns, uh, they, they need an adult in the room when it comes to decisions like what they did with Deshaun Watson. I, I, I wonder if she had been in that job when they were deliberating Deshaun Watson, maybe she would have been the adult in the room that caused them to really understand how these dominoes may fall moving forward because I think they failed dramatically in anticipating what was going to happen. They need somebody there who can serve as a conscience when it's time to make these decisions that could go haywire for the team. Yeah, and, and I hope she'll be that person, Mike. And, and I want to make one quick point here. You know, I already know what's going to come for her, and I know that she knows what's going to come for her, and, and she obviously probably doesn't care, but is it is she qualified? That's going to be the question. I don't know her. I've never met her, and, and until you pronounced her last name, I wasn't even certain how to pronounce her last name. Uh, and I don't know guess. if she's qualified or not. I, I, we, well, I can't answer. I, I think. Remember, remember when Roger qualified. Goodell became commissioner, and and I'm, I remember that was it was it Goodell. I, I did that for a while. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's good. That's good. don't assume that I, I pronounced it she's... correctly. I'll just get. I'll just say that you pronounce it correctly. But I I don't know if she's qualified or not, Mike. But you think about all the people in the NFL who aren't qualified. You know why Jerry Jones has his job as GM? He's the <laughs> owner of the team. 
Is he really qualified for that job? You know why Jack Easterby has a job as executive oh, vice president of football ops? Because he's a good preacher. There's a lot of people in the NFL, coaches, executives, who aren't qualified for the positions they're in. And if she's not qualified, she's probably going to be out of there pretty quickly and on to do something else. If she is qualified, she may become the first uh, GM, real GM in the NFL, female GM in the NFL. Leonard Toast uh, gave his daughter the job in 1983 with the Eagles. So there actually has been one kind of sort of. But I'm rooting for her, and, and I hope this works out. I hope she is qualified, and I hope she does a great job and becomes really that trailblazer that, as you said, Amy Trask uh, was high up in the Raiders organization for a long time. But we'll see what she does. But I think this is a pretty big deal for, for them to, to do this. And maybe she can be that voice within their organization uh, to, to have some sense in, in what they're doing. It's not going to help with the Sean Watson deal because that's, that's gone and, and it's fully guaranteed and he's there with whatever happens. But maybe in the future she can provide some sanity to that team when yeah, they hey, go out and try to do something stupid. Nick Casario, the GM of the Texans, made it clear yesterday there's no way the Browns get a mulligan on this trade. There right. are some Browns fans that think maybe this is a way out of this maze. It's too late. It's <laughs> yeah. over. It's done. They knew or should have known exactly what they were getting into. There's nothing that was hidden to them by the Houston Texans. They weren't duped. They they made the trade and paid the contract knowing exactly what they were getting, and they should have known or at least should have anticipated that things were potentially going to continue to go haywire because the media is not going to ignore the situation and other people may come forward and file lawsuits. You mentioned Leonard Toes, and he made his daughter the GM. Look, nepotism is another way that people who are unqualified yeah. end up getting jobs. And, and here's the reality. I don't know anything about her qualifications, but – we're all over Jack Easterby for being clearly unqualified as he seized control as a practical matter of the Houston Texans. We will call out nepotism when, for example, in New England, you have an abysmal defensive performance, give up 47 points to the Bills in a playoff game. That's the kind of thing that people get fired for. Well, you know, you're going to fire Steve Belichick when the head coach is Bill Belichick? Probably not. So then you can't fire any other coaches because you're holding them to a different standard. And now I think that's one of the reasons why we don't know who the hell's doing what in New England. It's harder to have accountability for any of the assistant coaches if the head coach has cloaked the entire operation in this mystery that we can't figure out what the hell anyone is responsible for. It's hard to say you should fire Steve Belichick. He's responsible for the defense. When we don't know who, who's responsible for the defense, who's responsible for the offense, who's calling the plays. Nobody knows. So um, the, the point is there are plenty of people who are in jobs in the NFL for which they lack the qualifications. And the question becomes, if you can't do the job, will you be held to a real standard of accountability or will the people who are in position to make a change look the other way? And Hey, Jerry Jones, I, you know, it's funny because I had no qualifications to be a reporter when I started into this business, but <laughs> after 20 years, I've kind of figured out some of the rules and how to do it and how not to do it. And, you know, Jerry Jones, after 33 years of being a GM, that that's his qualification. He had no business yeah. giving himself the job in the first place, but I'd figure out after 35 years, you get an idea of, you know, how to do it. But uh, that's not how it's supposed to be. Yeah, well, and he knows the people to lean on now where they can make the draft picks for him and he can be talked out of drafting Johnny Manziel or yes. whoever else, uh, who, who, who Paxton Lynch, whoever else that he wants, he can be talked out of some of those deals oh, maybe. They didn't get talked out of Paxton Lynch. Well, they did They can You're thank right. the Broncos for saving them right. from Paxton Lynch. In, they would have had Paxton Lynch instead of Dak Prescott. Um, so. Yeah. They should, they should be very thankful to the Denver Broncos for uh, trading up to get Paxton Lynch or taking him before the Cowboys could trade up. Whatever it was, the Broncos got him. I think they did trade up. It was the year after they won the Super Bowl. Up, they yeah. got him before the Cowboys could. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. We've got a mailbag on this last day before our five-week hiatus edition of PFT Live. We'll bust it open when we return right after this. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.